Mark Zuckerberg told The New Yorker the news source he definitely follows is TechMeme. So listen to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast, the podcast anyone who's anyone in Silicon Valley listens to every day. In just 15 to 20 minutes, you get a rundown of what happened in the world of tech with all the headlines, context, commentaries, and tweets from all the biggest players. New episodes every day at 5 p.m. Eastern. Search your favorite podcast app for Ride Home and subscribe to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Zenni offers thousands of affordable eyewear styles, starting at just $6.95. No ridiculous markups, no hassles, just quality, affordable eyewear delivered right to you. Visit Zenni today at zenni.com slash CNN. Good evening. There's a lot going on tonight. We have breaking news on the fallout to the president firing Attorney General Jeff Sessions. And there's a lot to tell you about where the balance of power stands right now. Two nights after the midterm, some changes, some possible recounts. But we begin tonight with another community that is heartbroken after another mass shooting in America. Another gunman, another town. For some viewers tonight, it may be just like any other sickening story. But for the families and the friends of the 12 people killed in Thousand Oaks, California, this is not just another mass shooting. It is a nightmare and an outrage that has taken their loved ones and altered the path of their lives forever. We'll get to the latest on the investigation, a gunman opening fire on college night at the borderline bar and grill in Thousand Oaks. And as is our policy, we'll not say the shooter's name or show his picture. If the shooter wanted attention or to be remembered for his act of mass murder, he shouldn't get that satisfaction even in death. It's been less than 24 hours since the shooting, so we don't have all the names of the victims. But we want to tell you a little bit about the ones that we know so far. Cody Kaufman was planning to join the Army, was talking to recruiters. He was the head umpire for a local baseball league. He leaves behind a devastated family and a wide circle of friends. We'll hear from his father in a few moments and from a friend of his who was with him at the bar. Cody Kaufman had just turned 22 years old. Sergeant Ron Helis was a 29-year-old veteran of the Ventura County Sheriff's Office, was hoping to retire in the next year or so. He was among the first officers who went into the scene to try to stop the shooter. A friend and colleague says he loved spending time fishing with his son and was always quick to respond to those in need. Sergeant Ron Helis. Elena Housley was a freshman at Pepperdine University. She wrote on Facebook that she hoped to get into a vocal music program and planned to major in English literature. She was involved in a charity group that donated soccer equipment to young people in the developing world. Elena Housley was 18. Dan uh, Manrique was a veteran of the Marine Corps and worked with Team Red, White and Blue, a group that aims to enrich the lives of America's veterans. The executive director of that group says that Dan was dedicated to serving others during his military career and beyond. We will remember. Justin Meek was a recent graduate of California Lutheran University. University president said that Meek saved lives in the shooting. Justin Meek was 23. Noelle Sparks was an active volunteer at church. One of her friends from Bible study says she was genuinely caring, a, a gifted dancer and an artist who had her whole life ahead of her. Noelle Sparks. We're going to show you video now from inside the bar. A witness to the shooting posted this online. I want to tell you there's nothing visually graphic in the video, but you will hear the sound of some of the gunfire and get a sense of the confusion inside for patrons trying to figure out what was happening and how to escape.
door. He's coming out this door. Kim Law has more now on the shooting timeline and the investigation. This is the scene inside the borderline bar, just moments after a gunman opened fire. Terrified patrons took cover and escaped as soon as they had a chance. Officers were on scene just two minutes after the first reports of the shooting, about 1120. We're making entry. We're making entry. We got multiple people down. We need a lot of ambulances. There are multiple shots being fired in the back northwest area. The man shooting was a 28-year-old gunman armed with a 45 caliber Glock handgun. The bar was packed with a crowd of 100 young people who had come for college country night, many of them students from nearby Pepperdine University. It appears he walked up to the scene. He shot the security guard that was standing outside. He stepped inside. These big pops, pop, pop, pop. I saw him point to the back of the cash register. And he just started, kept, he just kept firing. He shot the doorman first, and then he turned to the young cashier, and uh, he shot her. Victims were carried out one by one, and desperate life-saving efforts took place in the parking lot. Still, many remained inside. Our friends got the bar stools, and they started slamming it against the window so we could get out. <laughs> we're still missing two people. They were in the bar last thing we know, and we haven't heard anything. We, we can't find him. Ventura County Sheriff's Deputy Ron Hellis was among the first officers to enter the bar. He was shot several times and would not survive. For 15 minutes, first responders frantically pulled victims away from the club. Inside, the gunfire had stopped. Parents began rushing to the club, searching for their children. I am in dark right now, and it's actually tearing me up. Like Jason Kaufman who later found out his son Cody was among the 12 victims. Only him and I know how much I love, how much I miss. Oh, God, this is so hard. Oh, son, I love you so much. Oh, Heavenly Father, just please. The father of Cody Kaufman, Kyung Law, joins us now. You, you've been at the gunman's home. I know the FBI has been all day, as well as police. What, what's the latest on, on what they're trying to piece together? Well, the FBI here is trying to figure out motive and frame of mind of this young man. They have been at this house, the house that he lived at with his mother. It's not that far away from the shooting scene. And they, we've watched them pull things out of the house. What they're trying to figure out is why he would have done this. The shooter's mother had been talking to people in the neighborhood. We spoke with one neighbor who said that she was very worried about her son. She worried that he might hurt himself. She said she wanted him to get help, but he absolutely refused. This is a man who was in the Marine Corps. He served for five years. When he left, he went to college in the area. He did not graduate. He is someone that did have contact with the police. The police were called here earlier this year in April because of a domestic disturbance. Anderson, there were mental health professionals when police did arrive here. They did clear him. Anderson. Uh, Kim Law, a lot to learn still. Thank you very much. And Kyung's piece, you saw Jason Coffin, his worst fears were confirmed today when he found out that his son Cody was killed. I want to show you a little bit more of what uh, Cody's dad said today.
ever since the boy, my son was three years old, I coached him all the way up till we played high school baseball. I was the coach. I did this. I did that. He was my fishing buddy. I fished all the time, and that poor boy would come with me, whether he liked it or not, fishing on the boat. Uh, I, that's the kind of stuff that I am truly going to miss. Yeah. I talked to him last night before he headed out the door. First thing I said was, please don't drink and drive. Last thing I said was, son, I love you. That was the last thing I said. Earlier, I spoke with Cody's friend, uh, Sarah uh, Rose uh, Rose Desan. She says that Cody saved her life last night. Sir, I'm I'm so sorry for for all that you're going through right now. Can you just walk us through what happened? When when did you realize something something was going wrong? Well, I was just there for my my friend's 21st birthday. Um, But we frequent borderline a lot. And I... I was with my friend who we've lost, Um, but I was with him at the time. Yes. I heard the gunshot. I remember looking over kind of to see what like happened. And I turned, I was, I was near kind of facing towards um, the entrance and I saw the shooter um, with his gun drawn at the person at the where you at the register and I was I don't my friend Cody yelled get down and I fell to the floor and I I hid behind him and I just like tucked myself um in his in his back and um when I uh, I was on the floor I look back and I see a, a smoke bomb going off um I just saw like a bunch of sparks and then smoke everywhere. And I, I think it was Cody who yelled or told, like said, it was, it's a smoke bomb. And I, he got up and honestly, he's such a hero. He, um, he stood up and he said to us, get out. And I don't even remember in this blur, but I ran for my life. Um, I I got out the by the grace of God I got got out through the front entrance where I had seen the shooter. Um, I guess he had gone to the other side of the um, building, and so he was inside. And I I I ran out and had to ran down some stairs. I face planted in the parking lot, and I was just laying there. And I was like, if he's behind me, like I'm gone. And I just I got up and I I kept running. But I heard when I was inside, I was there for the first um, rounds of of the gunshots, and it was it's traumatizing. Um, I was I was able to get to a gas station, um, and I heard the second round of fire, and I unfortunately found out. This morning that um, my friend Cody had and didn't make it out. And... I'm so sorry. Tell us about about Cody. What, what was he like? Cody was um, amazing. 
And what me and Cody had was um, what something between me and him that I'll never forget. He was, even though we we weren't in each other's life for a very very long time, it was we clicked automatically, and I I have so much love for him, and I he's one of the reasons that I'm here right now. Because because he sort of he had the presence of mind to to say get out to to yeah. tell you what was he going helped, on. He helped. I didn't know what to do, and I just followed him. I dropped down, and I hid with him, and I, I was... I know he... He was put in my life for a reason, and he, he will always be my hero, and now he's my angel, my guardian angel, and I'm going to live my life for the, for the both of us. Because he was an amazing man and he deserves for his legacy to live on because he did not deserve to die. And, sir, obviously, you know, you, you see this kind of thing in the news. You've seen it happening in the past. Obviously, to be there and, and to lose, uh, you know, a friend like Cody is, is a completely different thing. Did you ever imagine something like this happening? I would never have in my entire life imagined this happening to me. And it's so real. Like I've I've you hear about it but you never think that you're going to be the one in in that position and you think what are you what am I going to do if that happens to me? And honestly, I didn't have time to think and that was another um thing. I just I I'm grateful that I had you know, God on me, on my side to help me out because this was something that you could never prepare yourself for. And I think like, like going out with your friends, you don't, you don't expect this to happen. So I just, I guess it's, it's taught me that life is precious and it's short and I always, um, definitely going to make sure I'm aware of my surroundings all the time and, and live in life to the fullest because this is absolutely awful. Sir, I, I'm so sorry uh, for, for your loss and, uh, and for all you're going through, and, and I'm glad you're safe. Uh, and, and thank you for talking to us and telling us about Cody. Thank you. He sounds like a remarkable young man. We're going to have more on the shooting later in the program. We'll hear from another survivor. We've also have other news to get to tonight. The latest on fallout from the president firing Attorney General Jeff Sessions. We'll hear from the author of a new op-ed who says the appointment of Matthew Whitaker, this man as acting attorney general, is unconstitutional and breaking news also about the reaction to Whitaker from actually within the White House. Later two days after the midterms, there are some races actually that are still in flux, two in Florida that could be heading for a recount, and one in Arizona where the Democrat is now in the lead. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Our friends at Zenni Optical offer a huge variety of high-quality, stylish frames and state-of-the-art optics starting at just $6.95. You can get multiple frames with this great pricing for less than one pair elsewhere. Start building your eyewear wardrobe from the comfort of your own home at Zenni.com. With the latest trends in eyewear, available in hundreds of frame styles and materials, there isn't a better way to change it up for every season. Plus, Zenni offers prescription sunglasses at incredible prices. 
Visit Zenni today at zenni.com slash CNN. That's Z-E-N-N-I dot com slash CNN. In multiple cities across the country, including Washington, Chicago, Atlanta, and here in New York, people have gathered tonight for protest build as an effort to protect the Mueller investigation. The marches and rallies were organized after the president fired Attorney General Jeff Sessions and named Matthew Whitaker acting attorney general. Now, Whitaker is expected to take over the oversight of the Mueller investigation, as you probably know, despite speaking out against it in the past. The CNN has learned from multiple sources that the Mueller team has started writing its final report. We do not have a timeline on when that might be finished. Meanwhile, there's breaking news tonight from the White House about the reaction to the president appointing Whitaker as acting attorney general. CNN senior White House correspondent Pamela Brown joins us now with that. So what exactly surprised the White House about the reaction to Whitaker? Well, really, it's the negative reaction to Matt Whitaker being appointed by the president as the acting attorney general. This is according to sources, speaking to my colleague, Caitlin Collins Anderson, who say that they're sort of caught off guard uh, by some of the coverage and the fact that he had made these comments publicly on CNN, as well as op-eds, where he called the Mueller probe uh, ridiculous, suggested that it could be a fishing expedition, suggested that Mueller was overstepping his bounds. Um, Some officials are telling Caitlin that they didn't even know that he had made these comments, which is ironic because it was those kinds of comments where uh, Matt Whitaker was saying that he was critical of the Mueller probe that caught the attention of Donald Trump. That's exactly what Donald Trump uh, liked. And we know, Anderson, that those close to Whitaker um, are telling us that they do not believe that he will recuse himself, despite the fact that he's been publicly critical of of the probe. Yeah, I mean, it seems there's no way he would recuse himself since he's just been appointed by the president whose main criticism of Jeff Sessions is that Jeff Sessions recused himself. Is there Mm -hmm. any concern that you know about it within the White House that his appointment could be in jeopardy? There is some concern within the White House, and that is partly because of the negative coverage. As you know, Anderson, the president um, is sensitive to negative coverage, and he doesn't like it when uh, someone he appoints garners negative attention. And so in this case, there is concern that because of that, that potentially it could be jeopardized. But again, he is only in an acting role. At this point, he hasn't been nominated by the president um, to become the permanent uh, attorney general. And so it's still in the early stages, but there is some concern in the West Wing tonight over the appointment and the reaction to it. All right, Pamela Brown, thanks very much. More Whitaker reaction right now. My next guest has written an op-ed with George Conway, the Washington attorney and, of course, husband of White House Counselor Kellyanne Conway. Neil Katyal writes that the president's appointment of Whitaker is unconstitutional. Neil Katyal joins me now. Thanks so much for for being with us, Neil. Can you just explain why you believe the appointment of Whitaker is unconstitutional? Yeah, I mean, the Constitution says in it that the Senate is to confirm principal department heads like the attorney general. Indeed, the attorney general is kind of the quintessential example of someone you need to be Senate confirmed. And the Whitaker is effectively a constitutional nobody. He's not someone the Senate has confirmed. And the whole idea behind our Constitution is to prevent the president from just reaching into the bowels of the Justice Department and picking some nobody, some lackey who's his friend to do his bidding. There's a whole reason why we have Senate confirmation. This is an end runner around it, and it's flatly unconstitutional. As you pointed out in the piece, I mean, this is not some lower-level position. This position, as you, you know, say, is vested with the law enforcement authority of the entire United States government. 
Exactly. So the attorney general supervises all the prosecutors who are Senate confirmed, the 94 prosecutors, supervises the deputy attorney general, the solicitor general. He literally puts people to death. He seeks that power. It is the most awesome of powers. And the idea that the president could install his own lackey is something I think the founders would have rebelled against. Indeed, that's why, and Justice Thomas actually just wrote an opinion about this three years ago, saying the whole idea the founders had was, you know, a president could become tyrannical um, or become, you know, corrupt. And the whole idea of a cabinet and to have Senate confirmation is to prevent and have an independent check on that kind of abuse. And this is literally playing out before our eyes right now. Would it, uh, we don't know if the president had a conversation with Whitaker about whether or not Whitaker would try to recuse himself um, from the, the Mueller investigation. Seems hard to believe the president would be putting somebody in who uh, he knew or thought was going to recuse himself. I mean, even Donald Trump is probably not that stupid to have that kind of conversation. I mean, really, you know, the president didn't need to have that conversation. Whitaker's told us. He said it on this network. He said it on other networks, what his views are. And so the idea that, um, you know, that there needed to be a conversation, no, I don't think so. But boy, it sure seems compromised. And both from an ethics perspective, but really from a constitutional perspective, um, this is a really troubling thing. The idea that the president can just install his last How does this play out then? I mean, the president has made his choice. Is there a legal challenge that could be mounted or might be mounted against the president over this? And if there was, who who would do that? There is. So I think there's three things that happen. Number one, which you're already starting to see today, is the people rising up and saying, what in the world is going on? I mean, we have a constitution. It's supposed to govern us. You can't just do an end run around it and impose your own person. That's number one. Number two, even before the lawsuit, I think we have to think about the election on Tuesday and the House Democrats being in control uh, of, of, of a branch of government. And the House can simply say, you know, this is a fake attorney general. This is not someone we will fund the Justice Department with at its head. So they'll cut its funding. They may stop its funding. They may say, we'll only fund Mueller. Um, and not fund anything else until you get a real attorney general. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing, absolutely, I expect lawsuit after lawsuit because every single day, you know, I served in the Justice Department, there are thousands of lawsuits, thousands of cases across the country in which the attorney general is the principal litigant. So yesterday I argued the Sanctuary Cities case in Philadelphia at 2 p.m. It was called City of Philadelphia versus Sessions. By the time we walked out of the courtroom, we literally didn't know what the case was even called because Sessions had resigned, Mm. and now we don't know who the new attorney general is. This isn't the way to run a country. Uh, Obviously, you've you've written this with George Conway. I have to ask, I mean, he's not only a prominent Republican uh, and and a prominent attorney as you are, he's husband to Kellyanne Conway. Um, Has that come up? I mean, it's it's obviously an odd dynamic for outsiders. Well, uh I'll let him speak for himself, but I think, you know, I think Mr. Conway and I both have come to this with really just the simple idea that the Constitution is a bipartisan document, and you have a president who last week it was birthright citizenship, you and I talked about that, this week it's this, Um, he is content to set fire to the Constitution, and in a world in which, you know, 
there's so much cynicism. I think the Constitution is the one thing that really does keep us together. And there's a view that Trump has, which is it's just a political document. It's just a document for the strong. And what we're trying to do is say, uh-uh, that's not the America that our founders gave us. They gave us this chartering document with certain ideals, and it really is something that has to be adhered to. It is interesting because, Neil, I mean, that is the kind of thing you used to, one used to hear from Republicans all the time about adherence to the Constitution. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's just the change in the last two years is, is significant. Yeah, no, Mr. Conway is one of, a, unfortunately, a dying breed of Republicans, I feel like. And, you know, I grew up in the school, I went to law school in the 90s, where it was conservatives who often stood up for the rule of law and principles like that. And, you know, I do think that there's a huge appetite in this country for that um, among Republicans and Democrats. But some of those voices are being drowned out by the powerful. And one of the things I think we all have to do is think about how do we come back to our roots and what our constitution's about and defend it. And sometimes we'll get liberal results and sometimes we're going to get conservative results, but that's the constitution we live under. Okay, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Earlier I spoke with Senator Mark Warner of Virginia, a member of the Intelligence Committee. Senator Warner, are there constitutional issues in your opinion with the president appointing uh, someone acting attorney general who's not gone through Senate confirmation? I mean, does the appointment violate the appointment clause of the constitution? Well, I'm not a legal scholar, but it's clear that this president is trying to make sure the Mueller investigation doesn't get all its final product out. We've not seen the results of what Mr. Manafort or the president's lawyer, Michael Cohen, or the president's chief financial officer of his business, all folks who've started working with the government starting in August. And the president could have avoided even any of these questions if he'd simply uh, appointed the deputy attorney general, Rod Rosenstein, to be, this, be in this temporary position. Instead, he picked this individual, Mr. Whitaker, who the best asset I can see is he's a big-time Trump loyalist. And in my mind, I will weigh in on this, that I think he has a clear conflict of interest in terms of overseeing any part of the Mueller investigation. CNN is reporting that, that Whitaker has, has no intention of recusing himself, and even if the Department of Ethics Office of the DOJ does recommend Whitaker uh, recuse himself, that's just a recommendation. I mean, there, there's no enforcement authority there. Well, I've been waiting to hear from the, the Ethics Office uh, of the Department of Justice if they've weighed in and told Whitaker to um, recuse himself, which is what I would expect and he chooses not to, that raises more your first point of why did Trump appoint him in the first place other than the fact that he's a loyalist. So I think our only recourse is to uh, go forward with the bipartisan legislation that's already out there, that's been already through the Judiciary Committee, that would at least protect the special prosecutor. Uh, every one of my Republican colleagues has said both publicly and privately that they think firing Mueller would be a mistake. I think Lindsey Graham said Trump would commit political suicide. I hope they stick to their guns and are reminded of their earlier comments. And my fear is that Whitaker in this current position might not fire Mueller, but could so impede based in in terms of cutting back funding, cutting back his ability to work with the FBI, or most particularly cutting back the ability for Mueller to go ahead and issue further indictments. Um, CNN's also been reporting that, that both Florida Attorney General Pam Bondi and, and the uh, former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, are being considered to replace Sessions as attorney general. Would you and your fellow Democrats be open to either of them? 
Listen, they, they both have um, interesting backgrounds, um, particularly the Attorney General in Florida, who I've never met, has had a, a great deal of controversy about her. You know, my hope would be that the president could actually, if he wants to show any level of good faith, would try to appoint someone that is not so far out the mainstream uh, that he or she would have no chance of being uh, approved going forward. But in truth, I mean, as long as the Republicans in the Senate are, uh, you know, supportive of whoever the president picks, that pick would pass, no? Well, again, that goes, I think, technically, you're right. I think the question that I would ask my Republican colleagues would be to stick to their word. Uh, And I've been with a lot of them over the last year. I raised this issue as a constitutional red line a year ago about Mueller. They've all, on private and publicly, reassured me that they think Mueller will be able to finish his job. And my hope would be that those members would stick to what they've said in the past and say that they would not vote for any attorney general nominee of this president that wouldn't allow Mueller to finish his investigation. And my hope is that Mueller is getting relatively close to completion. And boy, oh boy, there's a lot of information that I believe must be coming out of Mr. Manafort, the president's campaign manager, Michael Cohen, the president's lawyer, the CFO of the president of Trump Enterprises, a number of others who've, who've been working with the government for some time. You know, we in Congress need to see what Mueller discovered. And frankly, the public deserves to know as well. Senator Warner, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Anderson. Well, up next, I want to tell you more about Mr. Whitaker and perhaps another reason why there's a sense of surprise concern being reported inside the West Wing over the negative reaction to his new job. We'll look at his ties to a company shut down by the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, last year because it said it was running a scam. Remember, to create an ad like this one, visit purewinning.com slash CNN. Back to our breaking news on Matthew Whitaker, the new acting attorney general. White House officials say there is a growing sense of concern inside the West Wing over the negative reaction to his new job. Now, much of the focus has been on his complaints about the Mueller investigation. But tonight we have reporting on the work he did before joining the Trump administration and after serving as a U.S. attorney in Iowa that's also under scrutiny. Now, it turns out Mr. Whitaker was an advisory board member of a company the Federal Trade Commission shut down because it says it was running a scam. Our senior investigative correspondent, Drew Griffin, tonight has the details. It's a uh, simple design, but a unique design. This is Matt Whitaker before he became acting attorney general of the United States, describing an invention for a company called World Patent Marketing. Whitaker was a paid member of the company's advisory board. The company was supposed to help budding inventors get patents and charged about $1,600 just to start. They got plenty of clients to pay up. In fact, the company collected $26 million, a lot of money, with, it turns out, little or no return at all. It was a scam, according to the Federal Trade Commission, one that built thousands of consumers out of millions of dollars, which is why the FTC shut it down and slapped it with a $26 million judgment. According to this FTC press release, Many customers ended up in debt or lost their life savings with nothing to show for it. It's going to help lots of people uh, that have mobility issues get in and use their hot tub in a safe manner. And it turns out Matt Whitaker not only helped promote the company in videos like these, he also used his legal background as a former U.S. district attorney 
to muscle-complaining customers. Court documents show emails from dozens of unhappy inventors, and the company answered those complaints with threats and intimidation. At one point, Whitaker sent a threatening email to a disgruntled customer in which Whitaker accuses the customer of blackmail or extortion because that customer said he was filing a complaint with the Better Business Bureau. I am a former United States attorney for the Southern District of Iowa, Whitaker writes. I am assuming you understand that there could be serious civil and criminal consequences for you if the customer filed a complaint. Whitaker was paid, according to these documents, nearly $10,000 for his services and was due to be paid about $7,000 more. In the end, the company settled with the FTC and the owner was ordered to pay nearly a million dollars. Whitaker just walked away from the whole thing and into the bright new future in the Trump administration's Department of Justice. Drew, I mean, so being involved in a company, the FTC, basically called a scam, I would think would be a red flag for any potential new hire. You would think it'd be doubly so for someone hired to be the acting attorney general of the United States. This is the kind of company that attorneys at the attorney general's office would go after, not recruit from. But this is a different administration. The president himself, with his real estate company, uh, his online school, which was labeled a scam, maybe he has no problems hiring this attorney general, acting attorney general, accused of ripping off consumers. Has there been any comment from Whitaker about this? We tried to reach him through the Department of Justice, where he works, and through the Department of Justice, we were given a no comment for this mm. story. All right. Drew Griffin, thanks very much. Time to check in with Chris, see what he's working on for Cuomo Prime Time, the top of the hour. Chris? Well, there's going to be plenty more discussion about the man, his credentials, and whether or not this was done in constitutional fashion if Nancy Pelosi has anything to say about it. As we know, the Democratic leader is at the center of most of the main political questions on the table right now. And we have a far-reaching interview with her tonight, my friend, where she gives answers to many of those questions, including what you were just dealing with on the show. And also the big political question about whether or not she can be speaker. You'll hear her give an answer tonight that I've never heard her Hmm. give before. She talks about her ability to deal with the president, what matters. We talk about the California shooting and the frustration of the inaction. There's a lot here for people tonight. Fascinating stuff. As we're seeing also election results still coming in uh, in Florida and also Arizona. Now the Democrat in lead. Uh, That's about 20 minutes from now. We'll see you then, Chris. Thanks very much. All right. Up next, breaking news on the midterm elections. As I just mentioned, two key races likely getting recounts. And who had the edge now in a tight race in Arizona? We'll tell you about that as the votes there are still being counted from Tuesday. Also later on, an update on Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who's hospitalized after breaking three ribs after a fall in her office. I'm Andy Katz from March Madness 365, and on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Syracuse's Tyus Battle. I've been just trying to improve all facets of my game, just being able to be more offensive, throwing the ball different ways, shooting the ball, I think that's improved, and uh, just my playmaking ability as well. Subscribe to March Madness 365 now at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Well, as many nights are these days, it's a busy one. We now have breaking news on the midterm elections. Florida Governor Rick Scott has just announced lawsuits over the Senate vote count in Broward and Palm Beach counties, alleging there could be rampant fraud. He's asked the Florida Department of Law Enforcement to look into it. Scott is the obviously the GOP candidate in that Senate race with his Democratic contender, Bill Nelson, closing the gap. Our chief political analyst, Gloria Borgia, joins us now with more. So, 
What is going on in Florida? <laughs> well, and how many times has that question been asked? Uh, I don't know. I'm old enough to remember Bush Gore, and I'm old enough to remember when there were charges of voter irregularities and uh, in Broward and right. Palm Beach County, and that is exactly what what uh, Governor Scott is alleging tonight. So he's filing a lawsuit. He calls it rampant fraud. He says they're not being allowed to watch. Uh, the recount, he has seen, or the count, he has seen his margin decrease and decrease and decrease. And he believes it's because so-called liberals are discovering suddenly more ballots in, in those counties and they're counting them and it's not working for him. So he's decided to stop it and say, look, I, we, I got to sue because uh, because you guys are doing something nefarious here. Um, and in Arizona, uh, that's no more clear either. No, <laughs> that is not clear. Kirsten Cinema has pulled ahead of Martha McSally tonight. She's by, the Democrat. The Democrat by 2,000 votes. Now there's still a half a million more to be counted. So we'll see how that we'll see how that goes. Uh, but in Florida, it's up to 9,000, I think, by right. Oh, now. it is up yeah, to 9,000. But but in Florida, I mean, Anderson, you know, this now could continue for a very long time. And I want to add that you have Mayor Gillum and DeSantis locked also in a race here right. uh, for for governor. And, you know, you need 0.5 percent margin, less than a 0.5 percent margin for an automatic recount. So these things are going to change a little bit. But hearing Scott tonight, he's just not going to sit still. And, of course, uh, Bill Nelson, his Democratic opponent, came out and said it's a move of desperation because he's going to lose. But if you're a voter in Florida right now, you're kind of scratching your head and saying, haven't we fixed this? Yeah. Why does this keep happening? It's happening. It's it's outrageous that it keeps happening. And he is blaming the people in charge of the ballot counting in these Democratic places, but we don't know why it really keeps happening. And then Georgia, uh, Brian uh-huh. Kemp resigned as Secretary of State. Tonight, Finally. But, vote, but votes are still being counted. Right. And he, you know, there was a lot of controversy, as you know, during the right. campaign that he shouldn't have been able to ratify his own victory as Secretary of State or loss. He finally resigned today to put an end to it and say, OK, I've got 50 percent of the vote. I am I'm going to win. But that's not entirely clear right now. Stacey Abrams is challenging this. So this could go to a runoff. And so he's out of that job. He doesn't have the other one yet. All right. Gloria, thanks very much. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who's 85, was sent to George Washington University Hospital earlier today after suffering three broken ribs in a fall at her office last night. Now, she had fractured ribs before and also has gone through two bouts of cancer. In 2014, she had a stent placed in her right coronary artery. Of course, she's well known for her uh, workouts, even at her advanced age, and has been on the, uh, the bench every day this term, including yesterday. That's her working out with Stephen Colbert, obviously. I don't think they're regular workout partners. But uh, who better now to discuss what uh, may be ahead than CNN Chief Legal Analyst Jeffrey Tubin? Um, Obviously, this is, I mean, this was huge news when it broke earlier today. Well, it's enormous. I mean, first of all, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a historic figure in all of American law. Even if she had never been on the Supreme Court, she is the premier women's rights lawyer of basically the, of the century, if not all time. And at a time when, you know, few women were given the chance that, you know. To, a- ab- to- absolutely. And, you know, so many of the rights that we now take for granted, the equal rights that women have in the workplace in terms of marriage uh, are due to the cases that she brought. In 1993, she was appointed to the Supreme Court. She is one of the four liberals on the Supreme Court with Elena Kagan, Sonia Sotomayor and Stephen Breyer. If she were to leave and give Donald Trump another appointment, it would be six Republicans 
and you know the the Republican advantage, which is already intact with the right. confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh, would be expanded. So it's enormously significant. She's made it very clear she has no intention of step. I'm prior to this this uh, accident that that she has no intention of stepping down anytime soon. She is about five feet tall. I would be surprised if she weighs a hundred pounds. Mm. You went through the medical ailment she has had. The only thing I can add to that is that this woman is as tough as any NFL linebacker I have ever encountered. I mean, this woman has is just ferocious and determined to stay on the court so that Donald Trump doesn't appoint her successor. However, 85 is not the new anything. Right. You know, I mean, she's very old. 85 this is 85. Is 85 is 85. You know, broken ribs are not necessarily, you know, a sign of, you know, a major life-threatening disease, but... It's a big deal, and, you know, we're going to have to see if she rallies back. She has been, as you pointed out, on the bench. She wrote the court's first opinion of this term. She's always very fast in, in terms of her opinion writing, vigorous participant in oral argument, but she's old. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Dubin, thanks uh, very much. Coming up, more on last night's deadly mass shooting at the bar in California. More than one person who was at that bar also survived the massacre at the concert in Las Vegas last year. I'll speak uh, with one woman who was at both events. Hey, it's Howard Beck, and I've got former NBA champion and current Yes analyst Richard Jefferson on Bleacher Report's The Full 48. For me, winning the championship just validated, you know, me from a standpoint of like, all I ever wanted to do was win. All I ever wanted to do was win on a high, high level. And so to get that, then it just made everything feel like it was worth it. The Full 48 is now available on Spotify. And of course, you can always listen and subscribe on the Bleacher Report app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. No, um, the group I was with immediately made it out. Um, but a lot of the people that I knew working there that were friends of mine, um, were, were shot and killed as he came in and he, you know, started firing off on security guards in the front desk girl who I knew and um, others that I'm still learning the names of. Um, most of us got away. I had some off-duty cops that were friends of mine that were there as well and there was a group of people who took a bar stool and smashed open a window so people could jump out from the second story to, to get escape from the, uh, the shooter. Um, and um, so, I mean, that's, that's what happened with that. It's just got to be such an, a, a bizarre, I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. For, I mean, to, to know this person, to have been friends with this person at one point, and to know that this person could have killed you and killed people you knew. It's, uh, what is, how, how do you deal with this? I mean, the, the thing is, it's, it's just reality right now. And um, I just have to process it the best I can. The person I knew was a trained Marine that you know, knew how to use firearms. And I don't think anybody was going to be able to stop him. He hid behind the front desk and started firing off rounds from behind cover. He was served in Afghanistan. He was a well-trained Marine and... He was a big dude. He was like six two, six three, like two ten, something like that. Like he, you know, it, it's one of those situations where you want to just stop the, the shooter, but you're far enough away that you can't do anything. So you just try to save everybody that you can, like save as many people 
possible to get everybody out of there and, and make sure that everybody's okay as much as possible. And it's just a matter of chance that, you know, um, people that were in the line of fire got shot and the ones that weren't, weren't. Well, Todd, I'm, I'm glad so you're, I, I'm glad you're safe. And, and I'm, I'm so sorry for, uh, the loss of, of your friends. Um, and, and I just, I wish you strength in the days ahead. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. We're still learning uh, about uh, survivors and learning about those who lost their lives. We'll have more on them tomorrow. The tragedy in California was something that uh, a lot of viewers wanted to know a lot about on our program Full Circle on Facebook today. You can always watch that. It's a daily interactive newscast on Facebook. You get to vote on some of the stories we cover. You get all the details. It airs 6.25 p.m. Eastern every weekday night at Facebook.com slash Anderson Cooper Full Circle. Uh, there's a lot of news still ahead. Uh, I want to hand things over to Chris Cuomo. Cuomo Primetime starts now. Chris, you got a big interview with, uh, with Nancy Pelosi. Are you ready to learn how to build a better consulting or professional services company? Then download the Liston.io show for the best sales and marketing advice so you can deliver your services to the people who need you the most. On the show, I'll be interviewing the smartest people in the industry to share what they know about building a better consulting business. I'll also give you episodes where I tell you specifically how to sell your services with confidence and how to transform into an influential leader in your industry. Your happy clients probably want to help you. It's too hard for them right now. You're asking them to do too much of the selling that you should be doing. Yeah, it's going to move. It's going to change. It's going to disrupt you at some point in time. Your most loyal clients are your most profitable. Ready to learn how other people are building the consulting company you've always wanted? Download the Liston.io show spelled L-I-S-T-O-N dot I-O wherever you get your podcasts. Before you go, we wanted to let you know that we just launched the ability for anyone to advertise on CNN Podcasts. You're just a few clicks away from reaching millions of people in a way that you never have before. Advertise for a business event or kick off an awareness campaign for your brand. Start today at purewinning.com slash CNN. Integrating podcasts into your marketing mix has never been easier. Go to purewinning.com slash CNN to get started.